0: Welcome everyone to Devil's Chess Club. I'm Aaron Good, author of American Exception, Empire, and the Deep State, and the host of the American Exception podcast on Patreon. Today, co-host Bryce Green and I are going to be discussing some heavy, heavy topics like what is going on in Palestine and Israel. Then Bryce and I are rejoined by our other co-host, David Talbot, author of several books, including The Devil's Chessboard, Brothers, and Season of the Witch. I've used an image from the siege of Stalingrad for this week's episode art. I'm hoping that this can help us to understand and contemplate what we seem to be on the precipice of. So much is going on right now. This may be one of the most dangerous moments in human history. As such, it is exciting, if a little terrifying, to be able to discuss these things week in, week out. Devil's Chess Club is an American Exception production. Please support American Exception on Patreon if you can. Now on with the show. Bryce Green, great to have you back.
1: Great to be back, Aaron.
0: So a lot of things have been happening since we last recorded. Some of them very depressing and grim and horrific. Most notably, uh, the... Ass- the, the Hamas assault on Israel and then the subsequent counter assault on Gaza from the IDF that we're seeing now, which in Israeli fashion is going to be wildly disproportionate to uh, the original provocation. What, uh, what's on your mind about this now that we're a few days into these horrors?
1: Well, this this uh, issue is near and dear to my heart, mostly because, uh, you know, it, it really teaches you about the injustice and brutality of American empire, uh, not only in the sense that this is something horrible that we're supporting being done to uh, an entire group of people, an entire nation of people, uh, but also because of the way that it's reported in the American media, the way that it's talked about in, you know, the elite circles and political uh the politically powerful people it it was one of my first educations into actually how you can manipulate the public you can manipulate facts you can just say whatever you want and uh, the air is just filled with so much propaganda that uh if you speak out against it you're the weird one and you know there are some issues like this you know you, like American wars, right? Like the Iraq war, Afghanistan, stuff like that. Like You can speak out against that. And even though they're like calling you a lunatic, there is, uh, there's a lot less gaslighting that, that goes into uh, uh, when you talk about it. You know, no one's, go- they're, they're going to say things like, uh, oh yeah, like this is our, this is in our interest. But maybe in a few years, they might be like, oh, sorry, it was a mistake. And I, I suspect that in a few years, uh, eventually people are going to be saying, Similar things about Ukraine, about how maybe it was a little misguided a uh, mistake uh, after, you know, uh, some big blowback event happens. But with Israel, it seems that for the last, you know, 50 years, everyone has been... Uh, the entire political class of America has been on the same page, that nothing Israel does is bad, they can do no wrong, and the Palestinians will suffer what they must. And, you know... Uh, I guess one of my big educational moments was uh, and this is making the rounds again was Finkelstein, uh, you know, his encounter with Alan Dershowitz and and learning that. Oh, well, Alan Dershowitz, this Harvard lawyer who's really famous and really respected, gets a lot of airtime in uh, mainstream uh, media outlets. But he wrote this completely fraudulent book, multiple fraudulent books, but one, The Case for Israel, uh, was completely demolished by Finkelstein. Like almost every claim he makes in that book uh, was refuted and incorrect. Uh, it was refuted by another book, Norman Finkelstein, his book Beyond Chutzpah, like basically refutes everything that Alan Dershowitz ever said. But the fact that that was able to stand, that such a fraudulent text was able to stand, uh, is insane at Harvard. And then that Harvard protected him when uh, the allegations of plagiarism of manipulating the data manipulating or uh, just falsifying uh reality when those allegations came to a head harvard actually defended him uh, they like did an internal investigation that uh, allegedly cleared him but then refused to make that investigation <laughs> public but i mean like the, the fact that you can just get up there and just say nonsense it's just it's, it's just insane and it's all in the service of you know uh, well in the case of gaza keeping two million people in an open air prison but Palestine writ large, keeping an entire people under subjugation, just uh, repeatedly living under the most humiliating, brutal conditions. And it, it really is, uh, really is sad. It's
0: sad, and it's bizarre that it's not spoken of candidly. I mean, as many critics of, on the US side will say, you know, many, they're mild critics, but they'll say, well, Gaza is an open air prison. But that's not really accurate, because they're not being jailed for a particular crime it's it more fits the definition of a concentration camp wherein you keep a particular group of people concentrated in a particular area that they are not to leave i mean that's really what it is and then if you kill everyone in there then it would that would make it a death camp uh but they're they have not killed everyone there but they are starting to kill a lot of people uh, and they have at certain points in the past, so it's a really horrific thing. And it's hard to understand. I mean, even when you understand the power of lobbies and such, there doesn't seem to be quite the equivalent of uh, uh, in terms of the orth- this orthodoxy uh, it, with other issues. I mean, and it's not just in the US, you have France. Um, as I understand it, making it illegal to stage pro-Palestinian protests. Uh, you have similar weird moves in the EU regarding. Um, I, th- I think there's been the the cry over Twitter censorship. They want more of it. They're demanding more censorship from Twitter uh, around these issues. And in UK, there's uh, things going on with the Palestinian flag. I mean, and what you what the UK did with Corbyn. I mean, this is a it, it it's it's hard to even know exactly if you're a political scientist or you're a historian or social scientist. It's hard to even know exactly how to explain why the lobby, the Israel lobby is so powerful and why Zionism enjoys such broad support across the West. Part of it must be that it is intertwined with the whole imperial project and thus with capitalism and the US led global capitalism uh, anyway that they're just kind of infused in, uh, in, in many ways and they're they they're, they depend on each other in different ways. but it is it is really something the unanimity of the political class in in the US so all of Congress the most you hear in Congress is a little bit of is, is, is slight noises complaining about you know proportionality or something like that. I think AOC put something out to that effect. And then people like Corey bush and uh Tlaib, right um but by and large it's like the u.s and europe they're like all unanimous on there it is it is an unassailable orthodoxy at present politically it just there's no there don't, there don't seem to be any i mean even Corbyn's statements are mild and then, and then he just gets pilloried and i it, it's it's really something to see it uh when it has to do a lot of leg a lot of heavy lifting when the, the the orthodoxy needs to do a whole lot of heavy lifting and to highlight some ideas and minimize other ones we really see just how uh, totalizing a an orthodoxy it is
1: yeah no exactly like uh, the and like other orthodoxies don't have the level of flack machine that come with going against it like if you you know speak out against the uh you know uh, the ukraine proxy war for example there's no risk of you well i mean there's some risk they have like their weird kill list um but like if you're just an average uh university student or a professor or a community organizer or what have you uh if you're an uh, anti-zionist if you're criticizing israel and if you're pro-palestinian there's a chance that you could end up on like canary mission which is uh that zionist run um uh i mean it's basically like a database full of anti-israel or pro-palestinian activists and it doesn't take much to get on there i mean i have, I have friends who were on there i had a professor who was on there i've known some people i've been to conferences with who are on there and you know some employers actually just like will run your name through that to see if you're on there and then they will that will inform their hiring decisions and it in it, it turns it i think that there's a uh uh some link between that website and Israeli intelligence but beyond that I mean uh, if you I don't know if you've seen the the Al Jazeera documentary The Lobby the one that was suppressed because you know even in Qatar the Israel Lobby has enough influence to uh get an English language program taken down uh you know Al Jazeera's Qatari state media But um, this documentary was taken down, but it was published by Electronic Intifada. And it was pretty remarkable the level of influence that Israel has just on college campuses. Like the actual Israeli intelligence agency, like, or uh, like state, state, like organs of the state. I forget what it's called. It's like the Strategic Information Ministry or whatever it's
0: called. Israel? Do you mean like Hasbara or whatever?
1: Yeah, like their Department of Hasbara... um,
0: yeah, it has, I think a, it has a I think hasbro name. is
1: the term for the whole hezbrolah is like the i public, think the word for propaganda, propaganda like, but public yeah.
0: diplomacy would be what they would probably call it
1: yeah but even so like the state is intimately involved in connecting with uh student pro-israel groups uh on the ground here in America and also the the general Israel lobby and you know while i was a uh you know an activist uh, an undergrad i founded our schools Palestine Solidarity Committee. Uh, you know, after learning about all this stuff, after being like, "Well, this is one of the, you know, one of the big lies that American Empire feeds off of—that Israel can do no wrong and that they're not the aggressor." Um, when I when I founded that, I, I was surprised at the amount of hate uh, that I received from you know other students on campus who were just like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, anti semite uh, At one point, I, the group got actually banned from the center for the study of the middle east um because we in our newsletter we included a cartoon that had a uh you know a democrat donkey cartoon character and a republican elephant cartoon character they were dressed as police officers and they were both holding up this kid and on the kid's shirt was the the you know palestinian flag with the letters bds on it you know clearly satire about like how uh you know, both parties in America are anti-BDS. Are stick so closely to the uh, the pro-Israel line, um, but uh, the kicker was that the donkey and the elephant they had patches on their arm, and that said, in and then the the, the flag of Israel, we trust. And so, for that flag on the arm, our group was labeled uh, as anti-Semitic, and it caused a whole furor on campus and. Uh, you know, like the school newspaper was like, Oh, you know, anti Semitism scandal racks, uh, Center for Study of the Middle East with student group. It was, it was such nonsense because I was like, Look, yeah, they are
0: like, they, they're, they're smart enough to know it's all bullshit. that that's yeah, bullshit well, they, yeah, it they, they doesn't matter because that's just what they, they have enough power to be like, Nope, th- we no one will dare argue with us, and so it doesn't matter if our arguments are absurd, there is no voice in protest that's allowed to really uh, be heard on a, on a large scale.
1: Yeah. Well, some, some of the adults I'm certain are smart enough and a lot of the students are, but some, some of the students, I mean, they're just fanatics, you know, they've been raised in that milieu where there is only one truth and that truth is Israel. And they, you know, they go on the the birthright trips and, uh, they get showered in, uh, Israeli propaganda and they see, they see a picture uh, of, you know, an Arab, uh, and uh and an israeli you know uh holding hands and they're like well i was in israel and they all get along everyone wants the same thing there uh, and you know they 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 probably true true lots of true believers in that crowd but it the, the influence is just staggering it's staggering
0: yeah yeah i was um at temple university and there was an incident where uh, a student got um slapped by a Palestinian and it was an, an aggressively Zionist student uh who went up to some Palestinian uh club or group and um started talking too much smack and just got started some stuff smacked with an open hand and I think knocked down or something and uh it was funny because it ended up that the guy was one of my students and he was actually a he was the, funny, the, the guy but, who got uh, smacked or the smacker the kid the student who got smacked was was a a student of mine i'm not gonna hmm. say his name but and um well there was another student in that class and who may or may not have been friends with this person and uh who wrote like the the most racist paper i've ever read i actually sent it to the only time i ever did this i sent it to like the department on uh, t- the academic department that deals with like you know racial issues because this person was basically writing a article and he was um a young jewish fellow which goes against the stereotypes of jewish people as uh you know kind of enlightened and progressive in general which is a a generalization that often holds true but not in this kid's case because he was a viciously racist kid who wrote a art a a paper for a class and turned it in about a class on politics of identity and he wrote that uh, he argued that um some of the effect of uh if you're at Temple University, you're it's you're you're always afraid of hate crimes. Uh, meaning specifically, he he explains that you're afraid you're going to get attacked by a, a black person because you're white. Hmm. And so the whole thing is well, about how dangerous it is to be at Temple with all these dangerous black people around, and uh, he's that he's always worried about hate crimes.
1: The danger of being so, white in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, so, I
0: see. Anyway, make of that all make of all that what you will, but it's a there's um among. Right, among right-wing kind of Zionist people there's a this kind of vicious viciousness about this whole project and uh then they have, there's a big lobby to back them up and make sure that any that um you know this uh whole project is basically unassailable and it's i don't it, when we talked to Sam and he was saying that like you know everything is kind of shaping up for like some kind of final push by the Israelis to like really deal with the Gaza problem, either kill them all or force them into Egypt or who knows what. Uh, this is, you know, this is where you think, well, maybe there was some rhyme to there. Uh, there was some method to the madness of Hamas. Not that I would say like, oh, this is a good thing they did. But if it draws attention to this and it forestalls the uh, other countries like Saudi Arabia, recognizing Israel and, you know, that sort of business, then I mean, maybe it would be in their better interest to have this situation blow up now rather than when Israel really has their ducks in a row. I don't know, but yeah, man, it is. Uh, this is gonna this is gonna dominate. Hopefully, there's some sort of ceasefire reach relatively soon. But I also fear, maybe you can speak to this too, that you hear rumblings of like things about Ukraine where the U.S. may just be like looking to cut bait there, and uh, you wonder if this. Israel thing could be advantageous for these elements because it's going to dominate the, the news cycle. And then, you know,
1: well, Zelensky it, it, seems to be very, very worried about that. I mean, he's been, he's been uh, going into the news and complaining like, Oh, well, uh, Israel might distract. And he used the word distract from uh, the struggle of the West to fight Russia in Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, this is weird because Zelensky, Uh, Like earlier in the war, he gave his vision for a post-war Ukraine. And the way he described it was pretty remarkable. He said it was going to be a big Israel. And, uh, you know, what he meant by that was, he was like, well, you know, Israel is a hyper-militarized society. And we're going to need to remain a hyper-militarized society. Uh, But Israel has also seemed to maintain its democracy through all of this. And so that's what we aim to do. And, uh, you know, we get... Large amounts of aid from the West. And it's all like that. So he's talking about turning his country into like a, a military outpost like Israel is. And, you know, he's comparing democracy in Israel to what he wants democracy in Ukraine to be. Uh, but I mean, Zelensky's not stupid. He knows that uh, democracy in Israel means uh, essentially uh, subjugation of an entire people. I mean, it means that the majority population. Uh, pretty
0: much all the main um human rights organizations classify israel as an apartheid state i mean even the ones that i think that i would think are basically cutouts for u.s you know u.s imperialism in one way or another it, it, it's like the issue of is so clear cut over there that like to maintain any credibility as human rights organizations they have to you know call a spade a spade there uh, so yeah that and, you is, know, that's fascinating. That most people don't recognize that either. That that's not really remarked on. I mean, like, if 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 it's pretty easy to establish that it's an apartheid state, why aren't Americans? Why can't any? Why aren't American politicians advocating for that, that as a you know a, a, advocate for why that's acceptable? Don't you know that that was what you would expect in a democracy for people to have to have to actually engage with facts.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, if if you look at the history of Gaza specifically. And you look at the the turn of the human rights organizations into uh, actually acknowledging that what Israel's doing is apeshit and immoral and evil. Uh, It's it's a fascinating story. Uh, I don't know if you've read Finkelstein's Gaza book. Uh, We were talking earlier about uh, uh, you know he's you know an important voice on this, and it'd be good to get him on uh, if not this show, then uh, American Exception proper. I mean, he writes this book about Gaza. And it's it's just a a landmark study in how not only are you uh, are the powers that be in America able to manipulate the truth, uh, but how just generally resistant to criticism Israel is. Uh, The book starts with talking about Operation Cast Lead, which was the operation in uh, uh, against Gaza from 2008, 2009, like that, that December, just as Obama was taking office. And Finkelstein points out that they started this operation uh, likely because of that of uh, uh, that you know distraction of attention by the American media uh, after the 2006 war in Lebanon, you know, public opinion it. started it would to
0: wrong foot Obama also he, I mean, if he had any inclination to stand up to Israel, the fact that it would be going on right away, I mean that was right when he takes office i can I can totally believe that they would do that kind of thing they they do that to presidents. I mean they do that to Kennedy a lot, they basically yeah they almost threw him into wars in laos and in uh and um cuba like in the first months of his presidency like there
1: it was like kind of like a gut check i mean it was like it was like a we can do whatever and uh, let let me show you who's boss uh but you know that 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 attack was brutal and it you know killed something like 1400 people which you know as of time of recording is about the death toll now uh rather cast lead was uh, something like 20 22 days um, but this has only been, uh, it's been less than a week. It's been five days. So, uh, this is going to get a lot more brutal, but cash lead was so, uh, transparently awful. And it was so obviously a provocation by Israel. Um, you know, uh, and the, the pretext for them going in was to stop Gaza rocket fire, but they had, uh, knowingly provoked the Gaza rocket fire, which they're, uh, known to do. Um, and then they just used indiscriminate force and wreaked havoc. All over Gaza. And, you know, it, the human rights reports, they they use some of the statements from the Israelis. Like, uh, uh, you know, like, we ordered them to demonstrate real hooliganism and I wanted it to happen. And, you know, shoot at everything that moves. Uh, you know, just real horrifying statements like that. Stuff we're seeing again. Uh, but all that was, all that happened and then public opinion in America uh, and in the rest of the world turned against Israel to a significant degree to the point where the UN came out with this report. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the the Goldstone report. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Goldstone was a South African jurist who, uh, you know, and he was a Zionist. Uh, he was very pro-Israel. And he accepted the position to investigate war crimes that may have been committed during Operation Lead. He accepted only on the condition that uh, he would have to investigate uh, Hamas's war crimes as well. Um, and then he... He go. He does this investigation with several other people for a few months. He comes back with a report that's you know pretty irrefutable. He says that uh, you know the, the the Israelis targeted civilians and the goal of the attack in Castled was to humiliate and uh, you know destroy civil society in Gaza. So he comes out with that report uh, in uh, late two thousand nine, and you know the, the hammer comes down. All the talking heads, you know, Jerusalem Post, it's uh, you know, the, the Israeli press, uh, they're pretty hawkish, and they are like, oh, well, this report is nonsense. It's all biased towards Israel, which is, you know, one of the common refrains you hear when people talk about Israel. Oh, The UN's biased towards Israel. Everyone in the world is biased towards Israel. Human rights watch, they're biased. Amnesty, they're biased. UN, bias. It, it's it's a kind of a tired trope, but people do firmly believe it, and the ones who don't are willing to deploy it cynically. Uh, but Goldstone, he, um, he stood his ground for quite a bit until one day he just, dis- something happens and, you know, we can speculate about what happened, but he decides to publish an op-ed in the Washington Post uh, that, you know, the language is pretty clear. He was uh, renouncing the report. He was, he, he said, uh, you know, new information came to light and uh, all this was fake. My bad. Sorry. So he basically committed, like, professional suicide uh, just to refute this report. And, and th- just as this report was gaining a lot of attention worldwide, just as, uh, you know, e- like the Palestinians were pushing for it to be investigated in the UN, but someone or something got to Goldstone uh, to make him recant and really derail this whole process of holding Israel accountable. And as Finkelstein and others have noted that this really opened the floodgates for the impunity of israel that we've seen over the next uh, uh you know the next decade and a half and that's what we saw again uh with operation cast lead in 2014 which killed even more P- palestinians so destroyed were, even more homes the
0: 2014 one because you were saying cast lead was the uh, oh lead sorry was... uh protective edge uh yeah, they, it was protective Edge. These, yeah these names that are
1: yeah, I mean yeah, they're all they're all horrible. I, I forget what they're calling this this most recent one, but uh, it's probably got some you know grand name. Um, but yeah, you know after you know, the Protective Edge was even more horrible than Cast Lead. Uh, you saw more homes destroyed, more killed. I believe the final death toll was somewhere around twenty two hundred uh, over fifty one days, and that was you know just just devastating. But here again, you saw human rights organizations publish you know, pretty serious work on like what actually happened on the ground. Uh, Numerous instances of uh, of brutal war crimes and uh, just deliberate targeting of civilians. Uh, And once again, you have statements from the Israeli uh, officials telling their soldiers to, you know, basically, you know, free fire, uh, do what you want. Uh, And, but again, this was still the Obama years. Uh, Israel has the right to defend itself. And there was no Goldstone report to push public opinion uh, against Israel this time. And so that was the status quo for ever. And then like five years later, you had the Great March of Return, which if you look at the, uh, once again, Human Rights Watch came through with a report that, I mean, pretty much points at the Israelis uh, as having a deliberate policy of shooting, uh, of sniping Palestinians if they got close to the gaza border fence which is of course completely illegal and uh, i forget what the in death toll was but that was hundreds hundreds of people i think it was uh, something like 300 people were uh were killed and hundreds more were injured uh, like shot in the knee shot in the back shot in the leg uh by israeli snipers and, and like you can't you don't accidentally snipe somebody from 200 meters away i mean like they they kept doing this yeah. And so that was the Palestinians peacefully protesting. They they would go to the wall, you know, uh, with Palestinian flags. They would they would walk up. Uh, they would denounce the uh, you know the occupation, the blockade, and then uh, they would just get sniped by Israeli uh, Israeli snipers at the border. Like it was a sport for them. And eventually, Israel had to uh, issue a directive that uh, the, the snipers should stop shooting which pretty much indicated that it was official policy, or at least it was tolerated by the Israelis uh, to shoot them. Uh, so that was 2019. And ever since then, if you look at polls of the occupied territories, you look at polls of Palestine, you see the support for violent opposition to the occupation increase. Uh, you know, support for things like a third Intifada uh, increase over the years. And uh I think now you're seeing the fruits of that. Uh, but, you know, this, at the end of the day, it is, you have to lay this on Israel's doorstep because every, everyone can like everyone with a brain wow. can see that the violence that happens in Palestine, the violence against Israel, the violence against the civilians when it does happen is a result of the occupation. You know, the Shin Bet has been saying that for so long, uh, you know, Israeli prime ministers have said that. Americans understand that. Israelis themselves, I mean, they probably understand it on some level, but they think that the solution, rather than ending the occupation, is to, you know, uh, either have Gaza sink into the sea or have all the Palestinians move to Egypt and Jordan. Uh, and So that's, that's the situation we're in, but that's the level of propaganda uh, that we're dealing with, that that sort of thing doesn't get talked about in this current uh, escalation
0: yeah there somehow needs to be um and, and really with the decline of the u.s empire if the palestinians can keep from getting wiped out uh, in, in the next few years the uh, the balance of power globally could shift away from that kid side that has been able to prop up this you know monstrous regime i mean i yeah. i think that you need to find a way that everybody there if they're palestinian or israeli um that they can be able to live uh with some amount of secure peace and security and prosperity and uh there's enough resources in the world to be able to make that happen but i i think that you have to give up on this idea of a you know ethno state uh i mean that is just the only one in the
1: world that's recognized as such I,
0: i don't see how any I don't know how any person who has views of a, you know, uh, from the coming from the Enlightenment about the equality of humans, and I mean it just is. How can you justify apartheid and, and not and not having equal citizenship for people and and subjecting them to this? I mean I don't really see how you can. And then maybe you know I don't. But the contradictions, once the once the U.S. the power of global empire is not there, then it'll it will change the equation. Now the last thing I want to talk about here um before before david comes on is cornell west and his strange um decision to run as an independent because that happened since the last episode what do you make of this and why do you think that he that rfk would have said okay in a week i'm going to announce that uh, that i'll run as an independent and then before he even makes the announcement west uh does this why I don't. I really don't know why he did this, but that seems like a very strange coincidence. So, what do you make of what West is is thinking here? Because there's, I thought the go- if he wasn't going to likely get a, a, a majority in the electoral college, that it seemed like the goal of getting the um, Greens past the five percent threshold would mean they could be in the debates and it would be building a a, a movement going forward. That can't happen now. So, what is it? and it's going to be hard for him to get on the ballot in some yeah. places. Why do you think he made this decision?
1: I really have no, <laughs> I have no idea. I, I've seen, I've seen, uh, you know, people talk about how, uh, you know, he's talked about this, this decision in like some left media spaces that I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> attuned to, but the decision seems to have originated from that guy, Peter Dow, who I had never heard of until, um, uh, Cornell West, Cornel West announced him as his uh, campaign manager or something like that. And then everyone lost their shit for it. Uh, but then I learned that he was like a Hillary Clinton operative and then he was like really anti-Bernie for a time. Um, but I don't know. He, he apparently had a come to Jesus moment or something. I, I don't know. But if this guy's giving him advice like you should run independent, I, I don't understand the logic behind that. I don't understand. The, the, the question of ballot access seems to be like the critical one, and instead of having people go and knock doors to try and get people to vote for Cornel West, you're going to have people first go and knock doors to try and get him on the ballot. Uh, which does
0: he even have without a party? Does he even have a ground game for that?
1: Yeah, that's Like I, I don't understand why. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's yeah. I'm not. I'm not big into uh, as big into the the minutia of you know presidential electoral politics so maybe there's some sort of...
0: crazy the way the st- the rules are state to state it, it is totally undemocratic and ridiculous like
1: cuz i know you have to get like thousands of signatures per state if you want to be on the ballot like uh i don't know who was running like as an independent the last round but like someone was like uh, maybe it was Kanye uh, maybe I, I hope i'm not thinking of Kanye but like like he didn't get enough signatures to be on the ballot in uh, x amount of states and it was just like, oh, well, why why even bother? And so, I, I don't know. If you don't have – I don't know how much money he has to fund, like, a bunch of organizers to get a ground game to then get him on the ground. I mean, same goes for RFK Jr. I don't know how much money he has, but I assume it would be more than uh, Cornell West been, has been able to scrounge up from the progressive media circuit. But – uh I'm not certain. I mean, if not if certain. Cornell
0: is getting any money from anywhere, it's from people who are not who are who have a reason to support his candidacy, most likely for spoiler reasons, because I don't think people with that kind of money are necessarily into protest candidacies. I mean I could be wrong, but uh, you know I mean, Yeah, RF, if, RF, if you're RFK gonna make a by, RFK has a different sort of pool to draw from because he is, you know, he, he's a he he's pro capitalist in some ways and he, has libertarian takes on civil liberties and some other areas so uh, and he's he's friendly to you know Israel lobby supporters apparently so he has a few sources of uh, of raising money I don't yeah, know he's got David West except for people who did actually like the spoiler component of it on purpose I would guess but maybe there's a few people with money who have that pol- those politics and that's you know
1: yeah it's difficult for me to say I, I... Again, I I, I think Corner West is a very serious person. At least he appears to be. I've read a couple of his books and I've seen him speak. And you know, even even if he did endorse Barack Obama in two thousand eight, you oh, know, I worked for him, so I can't really. I'm about to say, like a bad. lot of people fell under that spell. I was in fifth grade, so whatever I said then, I can't be blamed on. Uh, it can't be blamed on me. But uh, I, he seems like a serious person. And if you're gonna try and make a movement. Or if you're trying to try and use a presidency to bring uh, light to a lot of issues, this musical chairs of which party you're going to run in just seems less than counterproductive. It seems actively hindering.
0: Why Uh, Dow? Also, why Dow? He's a guy. Do you know much more about Dow, the leftist, uh, by by the left at all? Uh, He seems like a. I mean, he says things that people sort of suspect he's some kind of shadow DNC operative in some way. I mean, you you see people on social media make implications about that. And if that were the case, I mean, that would kind of explain why he was on Jimmy Dore's show talking about Trump and the risk of fascism and saying, like, Biden is somehow not the fascist, but Trump is the danger. Like, he was really not making the Green Party's argument, which is that the Democrats are, like, you know, often the more effective evil. Like, they're no lesser evil at all. So, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like it was... I don't know. I don't know who's if he, there could be people encouraging him to run for different reasons. I know it's like you know, the Kennedy seems like the outsider challenge that they they've been worried about and in both most all of his moves have been not helpful for from the perspective of Kennedy. The his his entry into the race after RFK announced was not good because it was, you know, it was another high pro, high semi high profile anti-empire person. Um, And then he, of course, because he has a a more actually leftist position on Palestine, which RFK decidedly does not have, he will, you know, be appealing to people who are very concerned with that issue. Uh, And then the switching, man, the switching is just is very weird. That seemed also to be not good for that also seemed to be not good for RFK, but it doesn't even make sense as being good for cornell's own campaign or for his longer term ambitions so i mean i'm kind of wondering if maybe somebody said suggested to him that if he ran as an independent they would he would somehow have a better chance to be in the debates whereas if he was a green he wouldn't but i mean i don't that I'll be honest, make I can't can guess it's just weird and i i tend to like cornell a lot i just feel like this is weird and it's not it's uh it's a number of sort of coincidence coincidences that are all like kind of the same way where he's actually sort of helping the democrats perhaps or maybe i'm just so anti-democrat party now that i just <laughs> see their hidden hands and
1: i don't know it just uh, it, it just yeah i, I can speculate but it, not, none of it makes sense national politics as i keep saying is a very strange place where people be doing weird stuff and there's like you know, you know, there's an there's an internal logic to like you know keeping a, a campaign going, uh, or doing strange things on your campaign. Uh, you know, I was reading a you know a book about some different campaigns, and they were talking about uh, how there's candidates feel like a duty to the people who have given the money and support to like you know s- s- go down swinging, even if they're going to get one, two, three percent. They feel some sort of obligation to the people who supported them which I do understand. I understand that on like a, on a deep level. But from a pragmatic level, if you're trying to build a political movement from the pulpit of a presidential candidate, then why would being on the Green Party even matter? Why would... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm like, I could see the People's Party being like, you know, they have like history within leftist circles that uh, I don't fully understand. But I know people have some uh, very, very heated feelings about it but the green party anti
0: nick brandon because of things he did but i I don't really have uh i don't have a dog in that fight i don't know the guy
1: yeah i I don't know i don't know uh what his deal is i mean he just seems to me just like another political guy trying to do political stuff uh but doesn't seem too effective at it but that's just my that's just my take bernie
0: just Bernie. i mean bernie was a disaster man i mean he was a he was like a smaller version of the disaster than Obama was. He really set back any kind of progressive uh, politics in a way. And I, I don't. I, people say that Bernie did all these great things. I don't really think so. I mean, what did Bernie do? Well, by doing I don't know the way he did. He, he was. He, I, I. He may have made some people. He may have made more people join DSA. What's it matter? There are people who would then there so they vote Democrat as DSA instead of just regular Democrats, like.
1: Well, I mean, from a from a local perspective, I think he's ignited a lot of uh, discussion about some of the inequalities and the the systemic problems that America has. He did open the door to a new kinds of politics that wasn't based in like you know neoliberal Clintonism, uh, and he even if he ended up capitulating to that very same neoliberalism, uh, I mean, he did allow the general public space to talk about that, and organizations have formed and. Uh, they've they've had some successes, you know. City councilors all across America, different uh, uh, different levels of organization. Like even in Indianapolis, uh, some of my friends just got a city councilor elected, and many people would not have been there if it hadn't it not been for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, I do think that uh, Sanders did open up a significant amount of breathing room on America's political left. Uh, but as a that that's as a symbol, you know, as a symbol, Bernie Sanders, Bernie 2016, Bernie 2020. Uh, as a person, uh, I mean, he, he ran a campaign in 2020 where he wouldn't call Joe Biden corrupt. Uh, like, if you're not going to do that, like, are you are you are you even like playing the political game? Like, and I get that Joe Biden was like nice to him when he was in the Senate, uh, and I get that apparently Jane Sanders, his wife. Uh, was very against like going after the jugular on Joe Biden, uh, but like if you're if you're gonna shoot you're gonna try and shoot the king and then you give yourself a defective gun and then you're like oh well what happened well then uh, you're not really a serious figure. I've always advocated that Bernie Sanders should just like drop out of the Senate now, even though there is good things happening in the bu- as the budget in the budget committee or at least less bad things happening. That's a very narrow a very narrow victory compared to actually building and sustaining a social and cultural movement that could push America away from the you know the path that it's on uh, but he decided that he doesn't want to do that and you know I feel like that's both Washington brain getting to someone who I do believe was a committed socialist and anti-imperialist uh, but Washington brain is uh, it's like methamphetamine it'll rot your teeth and uh, make you go crazy. Um, but that seems to be what it was. He liked Joe Biden as a person and therefore he wasn't willing to go after him like a like the the lying corrupt bastard he, he is. And uh at one point he even benched one of his one of his supporters. Uh I think it was uh, Zephyr Teachout. Bernie benched Zephyr Teachout for like calling Joe Biden corrupt. Uh, I was like, "What? What are you doing, yeah. man?" And then the yeah. pandemic happened and then derailed the whole thing, but you know, much like Obama, you you make that comparison. Obama had a large, large grassroots uh, base of support of people who were willing to do things to and go out into the street. Him, he, didn't he didn't want to knock doors.
0: They were annoying for him after the yeah. And as soon as he won, out.
1: he he was like, "Okay, I don't want to play with you anymore." Well, now, he could
0: have mobilized those people for health care or whatever, but he didn't want yeah. to. He was, he was taking his marching orders from Wall Street, and that was clear all along. And it, you know i should have i should have been aware of that but you live and you learn <laughs> yeah but bernie yeah, sanders talking- did the same
1: thing here he had a large movement of people who were willing to you know go to war for him and then uh as the primary ended in 2016 he was like vote for clinton And as yeah. the primary ended in 2020 he was like oh there's a pandemic vote for biden uh like that's so much energy out of yeah. of the left like it's insane yeah Uh, i
0: I don't he didn't speak honestly about the u.s empire and i think that that's the biggest issue of all is the and on u.s foreign policy he was so bad which means that he just had a a a silly view of of politics it it was as though he was in his mind it, it may as well have been like 19 he may as well have been running for president in 1933 or something like that the way he he borrowed some of fdr's talk about you know economic royalists or whatever Oh, the plutocrats or whatever and it's like it's so much it's like a lot deeper than that it's a global criminal enterprise you know that i mean it kills nine million people annually it's like a rolling holocaust of capitalism year after year and you're a supposed socialist and yet you're up here giving the weakest most mild critiques of u.s imperialism i just i i don't think that i think he was he was bad in that way he was bad for not really wanting to fight and he was bad for like not rhetorically standing up at least and telling the truth about the empire because that's what people most need to know there's too many too many people on what passes for the left of the u.s are stupefied on uh, every time uh, when it comes to the war of the day even if they're in they'll there's like the people that would be like 9-11 don't forget the other 9-11 in chile you know which is like yeah that's a real serious crime but they're like the same people that are that are going to be like the white helmets and uh you know yeah we, we yeah gotta support ukraine from we're gonna protect them from russian aggression and like i mean they're they're suckers they're they're chumps
1: maybe That's i have a less. less grim view of bernie sanders foreign policy even though i have a pretty grim view of it than you do uh i i, I like you know bernie sanders voted to uh you know regime change in iraq like in 1998, he voted for the, the that bill that made Iraq, regime change in Iraq or whatever it was called. Yeah, whatever it was called. Uh, but you know, I I was looking back a while ago at some old videos of Barney, like when he was like you know 50 or 40 or something, yeah, and he it was wasn't talking about
0: the 90s. It wasn't until the Yugoslavia that he really became more of a yeah. I was like, wow, this
1: man was like seriously serious. giving critiques to uh, like about the the Reagan's Contra War and like about the Mujahideen and. I think he was good friends with Michael Parenti for a, for a time. Yeah, and Parenti uh, then
0: split with him though over Yugoslavia.
1: Was it over Yugoslavia? Yeah. Uh, and well,
0: so he, he, uh, I think he wrote about he either wrote an article or he gave a talk about it. But you can, I think you can find it on the internet somewhere. Parenti yeah. was the man. Uh, and,
1: he's yeah. he, well. I mean, what, what's he doing now? I heard he was like he's, like he's ill. Very,
0: he's in poor health. He's very old. He's very old, and uh, he's not. He, he's got a lot of health problems.
1: That's too bad. He was a real juggernaut. I've uh, been uh, going He's, through some of his a, old. There was a new YouTube Brian. channel that just uh, that just uploaded a bunch of his old videos, and some of which I'd never seen. And I was like, Jesus, what a powerhouse! Yeah, a powerhouse he has of a man. Two
0: speeches that which are like so on point regarding the clandestine criminality. The one on conspiracy and class, or whatever, or class and conspiracy. Yeah, one. and then the other one is JFK defending the gangster state and it just he, he really spells so much out in both of those it's just like he just he totally destroys those people like coburn and chomsky and these other people that are like that are that, that don't that aren't shrewd enough to like solve the political assassinations of the 60s i mean it's embarrassing at this point well, i
1: crazy. i think i just think they're lying i mean like coburn yeah, it's a professional like, thing you can't yeah.
0: understand you can't understand these things if you want to be employed on the left
1: and like Coburn was for a while, way. he he was like the Wall Street Journal's like resident leftist for a while, wasn't he?
0: I don't know. I don't know if he was there. There's a number of Cockburns, so there's the and they're all related. That is to, true. Um, that, that does they're screw all related me up. to the number one all time historical Cockburn, which is uh, Rear Admiral um, Rear Admiral. I think George Cockburn, the guy that the guy that burned down the White House. It like it was. Oh, like, really? Yeah, he's probably the coolest dude in the British Empire for that. For that, for sacking DC. I mean, he shouldn't have done that. That's very wrong. But uh, yeah, he's got this dope selfie that he took. Uh, it's like a painting, really, but it's like a, a portrait where he—it's him—and he's uh, standing um, in front of a burning White House. I'll pull it up when David comes around. I'll just show it, and David. And we won't tell David why. We'll just say like oh, look, it's Admiral Cockburn. So we'll we'll do that when we have David come on, which is going to be in just a minute. So, Bryce, with that, let's uh, let's let's welcome David on. All righty, David Talbot, great to have you back with us. Good to be here. Um, so you've and written yes, some...
2: this is a Giants cap. It's not over until it's over.
0: That's good that you have the you're keeping the faith. I think your 49ers might have a better chance uh although yeah. the Eagles here in Philly are are quite mighty. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We will see. Now you've written some articles recently about uh for the Kennedy Beacon uh the first one we can talk about is Kennedy's independent run and uh it, this is now he's announced it in Philadelphia how did what did you think of the of, of the speech and uh do you feel that it was overshadowed by other events elsewhere or are you How are you feeling about uh, the way that this was handled?
2: Well, I thought the speech was great. I watched it and I wrote about it. Uh, I thought he had no choice. And I wrote that as well. The DNC is such a corrupt, uh, rigged game. Uh, They want Joe Biden to be nominated. They don't want anyone within the party to run against him. They've forced everyone in line in the Democratic Party to fall behind uh, Joe Biden. And look, his poll numbers, Biden's poll numbers, are terrible. It looks like he's losing now to Trump. So even James Carville, who used to write a column for me at Salon, Uh, The Democratic Party hack uh, admitted it was, uh, you know, a disaster in the making, where it's a train wreck. Joe Biden's campaign. Can he be released from the White House? Should he be? Can he put together a sentence? Can he debate Trump on stage? I mean, you know, this is what Democratic voters are worried about. So thank God Bobby finally acknowledged what Bernie Sanders did not. Uh, that the only way possible to the White House is an independent path, and he dropped out of the Democratic Party, the party of his forefathers and mothers. Um, As he said, it was not a light decision. It was a very difficult decision for Bobby, but I think it's the only one that he could have made.
0: Yeah, I was saying this from the beginning, that it made more sense to do that, and I think he had always had one eye on this because a lot of his messaging and other things that he'd said really didn't make sense unless he was <coughs> thinking that this was going to be a, to be an option. So I wasn't too surprised. Did you happen to catch the Jeffrey Sachs, um, basically the endorsement of him, I, I would take it as that, where he was saying that he thinks there's a good chance that Biden, by the end, the Democrats may actually be, uh, that Biden may not run and the Democrats may rally behind him in some way. I mean, he, he suggests something like that. In his piece, uh, what do you make of the support of Sachs? Because he's always been, he's written for the Kennedy Beacon before, but this was the most pro Bobby uh, that I've heard from him.
2: Well, you know, I think my analysis of what's happening in the country is similar to yours, Aaron. I think we're entering a very fractured political state. I think the American empire is under great stress and is uh, way too expensive. Uh, and the system is not holding anymore. The center is not holding. Um, Keeping this military, bloated military colossus around the world uh, is really having, I think, a heavy impact, as Bobby has said, on the middle class in this country, is crushing the middle class under the weight of taxation to support this empire. So, I think what we're seeing the chaos, political chaos now in Washington, they can't get a House Speaker. Uh, you know, they've gone through vote after vote. Will they get a uh, rally around Scalise? Like maybe. And how long will he last in the Republican Party as the leader? So, uh, it's a mess. And I think Bobby has a real chance as the third party candidate. Cornell West, I think, has some kind of a chance too. But Bobby has more money, more organization than Cornell. And I think he actually could shake things up a lot over the next year. I think Biden is toast, as I said. I think he will drop out, before he drop out at some point. The Democratic Party, if they had any brains at all, should go right now to Biden and say, Thank you for your service. Step down. Like they should have to uh uh, Supreme Court, you know, uh, Justice Ginsburg, uh, but they let them stay too long, and I'm afraid, as a former Democrat, I guess that's what I would call myself now, um, that the party is going to wait too long to tell Biden to sit down. But they should have someone who's more vigorous, obviously, like Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, step into those shoes and run. That would be an interesting race, I think, between Trump and Bobby and uh Gavin Newsom. But Biden I don't think is capable of holding his own in the debate with Trump or with Bobby.
1: Yeah, I think if you uh, there were recent polls done on the uh like the the three way between Bobby, Biden and Trump and uh Trump and Biden were each getting something like 30 32% and Bobby was at 14% which, I mean, I got to say that's a lot better than I expected, Uh, even though, you know, these are national polls and uh, our elections aren't really decided by how many people vote for which candidate. (laughs) It's decided by, you know, where they happen to be when they do that. Um, But, I mean, that's a lot more than I thought, even though I'm still kind of pessimistic about anyone's chances, cornell West or Bobby Kennedy's, about actually winning the presidency. uh, It seems that if it is a three-man competition – and if Biden is out and if they put someone like Gavin Newsom in, who's, you know, who doesn't have the popularity of Biden, uh, you know, Cal- California brain people aren't the majority of Americans, um, it, then there might actually be some opportunity uh, to win. But I, I am wondering what you think about. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Bobby has more organization than uh, than than West does. Um, but it seems that a lot of that work is going to be a lot of work is going to have to be spent trying to get him on the ballot at all if he's gonna if he's gonna run. I mean, same for Cornell West. I mean, we were just talking about how uh, uh, Cornell West is gonna it has a, a a long way to climb in terms of getting himself ballot access and running a campaign to get some name recognition out. So, what do you think about Bobby's chances on that front? Are there like local ground? Is there a ground game that's forming? Are there people, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, babies for Bobby or something like that going around uh, in local groups?
2: I think that's the key question, Bryce. Uh, How well organized is Bobby and can he get on the ballot in all 50 states? I think he is. I think he's well-financed. And let's face it, he's a candy. Not only does he have the family brand name, it's in his blood that that sense of how to organize. And he, for years he was an environmental lawyer, an activist. So he knows how to put together an organization. He's been doing it, I think, for many, many years now. So will he have the money? He raised almost 12 million when he announced his independent run on Monday in Philadelphia. 12 million in one day. Uh elon musk is now considering uh funding uh bobby kennedy according to uh wait what reports elon musk (laughs) it's crazy right now what is happening this this is getting weird he does appeal to a kind of uh disruptor who wants to disrupt the political system as well um i don't think bobby's agenda political agenda is shared by all the people who might help uh, financially support him but it's anyone's game I think who wins next year I think it is a three way raise I think you're right and I think Bobby has a real uh, opportunity now Now, whether or not he you know, becomes a more conventional candidate in the process is another question I'm working for him I've known him for 20 years I'm writing a column for him uh, but you know the political system has a way of making people uh of you know less uh shall we say challenging so we'll see what happens over the next year.
0: I'm now, hoping that the the six oh
2: just in terms of getting the signatures again about the ballot. Yes, I think Bobby Kennedy has the money in the organization to do that. I think that would be very difficult for Cornell West because he doesn't have the money and, 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 and the organization. He was relying, as you know, before uh, on the Green Party to get him on the ballot. And the Green Party has the infrastructure to do that, at least in, in most states. But he decided, Cornell West, to go independent. I don't think he has the infrastructure that Bobby Kennedy or the money that Bobby Kennedy has. So it'll be tougher for him.
0: Why do you think he did that, David? I, I can't figure it out. And like, I, I the, my, well, you know, I'm a little I, paranoid reflexively worked. and I kind of wonder if it was to mess with Bobby, but that, cause it, it, it seems to have done that. And I don't see what, what else he accomplishes. It's so strange. What
2: I've heard is that he did it for a combination Cornell West of ideological and administrative concerns that he had about the green party they didn't have their shit together <laughs> in yeah. other words and i think he and his advisors decided uh he's better off going alone
0: well i mean the last guy they nominated was howie hawkins so there's something wrong with that party i will say yeah An- a- another thing that i'm hoping has some impact on this is that the 60th anniversary, you know, and like, I mean, still, we've got that, there's that, ser- the Four Died Trying series on the 60s. I'm hoping that people make connections about, and that and that Kennedy, you know, Bobby himself can make the connection in voters' minds about what happened historically and why we're at, at the point that we're at. Because his, I think, saying, just speaking candidly, hey, the empire is ending. This empire, it killed all these people in Vietnam. And it even killed a lot of our best leaders. And we may have not, we might not be in this position if the empire did not just assert its violent will over and over again. And these things are all connected and we need to somehow go back and correct some mistakes. And we're now at the point that the empire really can't be run anymore. And so it doesn't even make sense for it to go around killing anyone anymore. We just need truth and reconciliation and some reckoning uh, of with, with our own history and now why, how our history led to the present which is what histories do uh, maybe maybe this will be a, maybe there will be a bigger sense of uh, just what we what, how we got to where we are and it'll be more realistic than past elections and it could potentially help uh Bobby as the the one guy who can credibly say I'm against this and my father died trying to stop this et cetera, etc etc
2: Yeah I think that's why Bobby has a uh, wide appeal this great realignment I think it's real. I think people on the left and the right in this country don't trust uh, the the government anymore, Uh, from uh, Dallas to Vietnam to the lockdown, uh, the COVID lockdown. I think um, the government authorities, even medical authorities, are no longer trusted by many, many people in this country. And um, the media elite doesn't get it. They keep going after Bobby with the old smears. And I don't think it's really uh, sticking. uh their attacks on him. The New York Times podcast, very excited in the Bobby Kennedy camp today because there is a podcast by the woman who covers him, uh, Rebecca, I forget her last name, for the New York Times. She was in Philadelphia covering his speech there. She talked to people in the crowd. And it was a fairly intelligent and, I think, fair uh, podcast about uh, the Bobby Kennedy campaign that the New York Times produced today. Um, but it still accused him of conspiracy mindset, of being a spoiler in the race. He's more than a spoiler, as Bryce and I were saying uh, you know recently. Uh, I think he's a factor in presidential uh, campaign. And they're worried about that. Both Trump and Biden, both the RNC and DNC, are worried about Bobby Kennedy being a third factor. Not since Ross Perot, I think, ran against uh, the first Bush and Clinton in 92, was someone uh, a factor like this, and I think he's more of a factor than Ross Perot. That year, he's he's got the Kennedy name, he's got the appeal. He's uh I think he has a vision. I believe he is he's the closest to what this country needs. He and Cornell West, but Cornell West doesn't have the the political appeal that our money or structure that that Bobby kenny has.
0: Yeah, I mean that's just it with Cornell. It's like uh, in a bourgeois society you've got to be able to draw some support from the oligarchy of ridiculous wealth to to have a chance and bobby does seem to have some of that because of his uh i i think that there's a kind of liber- there, there's a libertarian side. i know he's not a libertarian but there's a pro capitalism side of what he he says that's more overt than uh than cornell west and uh so he's he's able to do that which of course means but that's a difficult thing because then you're going to alienate the people who on the left who want, you know, ideological purity and such. And he definitely is, has a strange pastiche of political perspectives of like partly liberal, partly little more excited about the free market than might be warranted. Uh, and then, you know, some foreign policy positions that are actually way better than Bernie's on the whole, except for, you know, Israel, which is which is not you know, not as progressive, but I don't work. So I think he has a chance. I think that what they do when they say, Oh, he's a spoiler, he's a spoiler. That's just them. Like the way they talked about Hillary as the inevitable candidate. That's just them trying to make it become the common sense so that it, he actually doesn't have a chance. If, if they, they, I think that they got- have gotten marching orders that if they talk about him as though he's a viable candidate and not a spoiler, they want to be like, they want to frame it as who's he hurt more Trump or Biden, like if, as long as they do that, then they're basically already saying he is not a serious candidate. Don't, he's not going to win, which is ter- unethical, but it's totally what you'd expect.
1: Yeah. It, it's kind of like the, the, uh, like default of the media class, of course, to, uh, you know, abandon the possibility of a third party winning, which, you know, uh, I, I sympathize with on a practical level. But if you're a, a meat on the, like in the media and you have someone with the, you know, a degree of popularity, uh, like we, we keep pointing out that, uh, you know, back when he was running in the democratic primary, the Republicans who were polling a lot less than Bobby were getting a lot more media attention, uh, even from the left side of the media political spectrum. So even like MSNBC was covering Ronda Santis more than, uh, you know, they would cover Bobby Kennedy. Uh, but, you know, that does raise an interesting question about, what his support will actually look like because like you know when you become president it's not just you as president and we were talking a bit about his cabinet but it's also about the like the, the, the wonks you know the, the wonks who are going to staff the agencies the wonks who are going to get jobs you know in those positions that you've never heard of and like the office of budget management and all that stuff and if you're going to govern the country somehow you need to attract enough talent and enough serious people In that field to actually, uh, you know, govern the country properly, Uh, you're gonna need some of those Liz Warren brained people, uh, at least the ones who aren't pretending to be Native American, Uh, and then you need them to, uh, you know, make the regulatory changes, make the uh, uh, make sure that especially that you know, some of the more capitalist minded people, the more libertarian minded people that surround Bobby don't get the chance to put their people in first. So that's going to be an interesting fight to see, to see it like, you know, in the long shot that he wins and that he's making his transition team. Like, what is that going to look like? Who's going to staff that? Like we're, you know, I could see him pulling maybe a bunch of foreign policy people from like the Cato Institute or the Quincy Institute. Uh, but other places, you know, maybe the media is souring it enough that they'll just boycott the administration entirely and then leave it to the the lunatics to staff, which is uh, a worry. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of just thinking out loud about this as I as I speak, but it just seems like a, a well, strange think, situation. Think- and now we're talking about Elon Musk getting involved.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think actually. Uh- I buy a lot of what Bobby says when he says he's been tilting and fighting with these regulatory agencies for decades in Washington. And he knows people from the movements uh, against them. Uh, from the environmental movement and various systems movements have tangled with these uh, bureaucrats in Washington. So he knows who to replace and he knows who to replace them with. Governor Gavin Newsom out here in California consulted with him on his environmental appointments uh, in California, which you know is a big state, very important appointments. So Bobby actually knows about the machinery of government. He grew up in that world he knows who's who. He's fought against him in the courts, in the legal system. I love Cornell West. I met him. I respect him enormously. But he's an academic he spent his life in academia, academia. And so that's his background. He doesn't know Washington, I would uh, be uh, loath to put my the hands of the government, someone who's so naive, I think, about the government in many ways. And um, so you know, I think you're right, Bryce. That the machinery of government is very important. You've got to take control of it. Trump himself said, as an outsider, he didn't know what he was doing in the beginning. It took him years to figure it out. He said he got played by Anthony Fauci and and uh, the CDC. Uh, he still brags at Warp Speed, his vaccine program, but you know a lot of his base doesn't believe in it, doesn't believe in COVID uh, lockdown, doesn't believe in the vaccine and so forth. So um, Bobby Kennedy, uh, as opposed to those two guys, I think knows what he's doing or would know what he's doing if, as you say, uh, he does get elected. Um, it, it'd be an interesting battle within Washington to see how he would if he would prevail
0: so the 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 last question that i want to ask you about is uh relates to your article your newest article which is on the kennedy family because they are not excited about bobby's candidacy and uh i your you your, your article is a bit nicer than i would be i actually find the kennedy family to be Um, I don't really have any admiration for the family as a family. Like I'm fine with, I'm sure there are nice people and there's a, it's a mix, just like all families, Yada yada. but, uh, I've always thought that like they were, if it were my dad, I would probably, I would, uh, if I were in that position, I would want to, I would be really preoccupied with the assassination because I'm not in that family and I am preoccupied with the assassination of the, the assassinations of the Kennedy brothers. So of course, if I was in the family, I would probably be even more pissed about it. And and they seem to ca- they seem to care more about staying in the good graces of the establishment that killed their the best people in their family and then covered it up decade after decade uh, than actually at, uh, getting some justice to the truth about it. So I I I, I don't have much uh, you know I don't have much admiration for the for them as a group. what, it, how, what how did you approach writing this article? Well, first of all, Aaron, it's not
2: up to the Kennedy family to solve these two major crimes against American democracy, the assassinations of JFK and and Bobby Kennedy Sr. It's up to the criminal justice system. It's up to our political system. It's up to the media to crack these cases. We have cracked these cases. We know who the conspirators were. I reported on that in my book. Others have reported on as well. And so it's not primarily up to the Kennedy family. They were the victims. I think they got emotionally and terribly damaged by those two assassinations. And like the Band of Brothers around the Kennedys, the men who served them, Schlesinger, Sorensen, McNamara, many of whom I interviewed for my books, uh, they didn't know what to do. They were at a loss emotionally after the deaths of their fathers because they were the two leaders, not only of the country, but of the family, JFK and Bobby Kennedy. So, uh, let's give them some kind of sympathy, I think, uh, for that. Uh, that said, <laughs> I did uh, start to talk to family. I'm not a Kennedy family insider, but I got to know a few of them while I did my research. And that's how I got to know Bobby Jr., And when I first broached the subject with him, he too, like the rest of his family back in 2003, 2004, about 20 years ago, looked down at the plate, at the Parker House Hotel where we're having breakfast in Boston, a famous legendary hotel for his fathers uh, and so forth, and, and uncle. And uh, where they announced their campaigns, he looked down like I was telling him his dad had been killed. He was stricken. He looked down at his plate while I talked. I said, I was doing this book about his father's search for the truth about Dallas, that he didn't buy the Warren Report. He was looking into it on his own very quietly to investigating it. And Bobby Kennedy Sr. knew more about the dark side of power, as Arthur Schlesinger said, than anybody in American public life then. He knew where to look. He knew the to the mafia. He knew about the CIA. He knew about the, the Cubans. Uh, who were the anti castro Cubans. He knew all these groups. And uh, so he began looking and figuring things out. As I told Bobby this, he didn't want to. He said, we were always taught, he and his brothers and sisters, to look forward, not back, to not explore these dark closets of American power. And uh, I'd said, Bobby, with all due respect, your father and Walter Sheridan, his top investigator, were looking into the crime. He said, did you talk to Nancy? Walter Sheridan, his investigator, was dead by then, but Nancy was his widow. And I had interviewed Nancy. and I interviewed several other members of the Sheridan family. And I found out that Bobby Kennedy and Sheridan were actually investigating Dallas when they were uh, in a position to do that. But Bobby Kennedy was a serious guy, as his speechwriter Ab Malinsky told me. He was played things very close to the vest. He knew what a heavy lift it was going to be to solve his brother's murder, and he knew that even with the powers of the presidency, if he made it back to the White House in '68, it was going to be very, very difficult uh, to do that. But he intended to do that, and then, of course, he himself was assassinated in 1968 after he won the California primary uh, at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. So um, that's the way these people play. They're ruthless, they're violent, they they kill the people in their way. They killed Malcolm X, they killed Martin Luther King, they killed the Kennedy brothers. That's how they do it. Uh, They rule at the point of the the barrel of a gun. So, We have to protect our leaders, and uh, unfortunately, as you said, the Kennedy family has turned against Bobby, this guy who's been denied Secret Service protection by President Biden, who we should be actually all rallying around, and is in danger of actually being victimized like his father. He should have security. He should have the support of family members. Instead, they're winning points with the media, with the DNC, with the Democrats establishment, his brother and sisters by attacking them. As Bobby said the other day, uh, he comes from a big family, and he does have many Kennedy uh, relatives who support him, his kids, cousins, and so forth, but some prominent Democrats Uh, who are prominent members of his family, have lashed out, I think, ridiculously at at him. Um, They've taken their talking points from the Democratic Party itself. And uh, Bobby has taken the high road. He's very sweet and gentle. He says, I love my family. All families have disputes. It's true that my own family, some members of my own family and friends have become alienated from me because of my support for Bobby uh, Kennedy. Um, so I wish they had the courage uh, that Bobby had to look into this history. I wish they had the courage of Bobby and his father to actually go to the the dark side to understand how power really operates in this country and to challenge it but they don't they're they I think they lack his courage and wisdom and uh it's unfortunate but that's the case
0: yes i can understand See, the, i can understand the not supporting him i don't know why they had to i guess what really irks me is that they had to Weigh in in such a negative, uh, kind of mean way uh, that that I think will not look good uh, years from now for them. I think because uh, the the U.S. Empire is not going to be riding high in a, in a way that like the Democrats and are going to look like this great party that is the party of progress. I think it's I don't I think that they've badly misread the trajectory of the country at the moment and their own historical. I think there must just be massive amounts of denial going on there, uh, regarding their whole family history.
2: Let me just add uh, that in the statement from his brother and his sisters, Bobby, where they denounce him and his candidacy, they say he doesn't share the values of his father he's named after. That is complete bullshit. He does share those values. Bobby Kennedy took on a sitting Democratic president as well, took on Lyndon Johnson in 1968 when he announced his own run for the White House. So he had guts. He, many of the, the uh, people he's and Ian, uh, that his son antagonizes, Bobby Kennedy Sr. antagonized as well, including the military industrial complex. So Bobby Kennedy was in some ways running a, a radical, uh, very outsider campaign in 1968. And so was his son.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering what uh, the Kennedy—because it seems like they've been attacking him for quite some time, uh, like, um, you know, in one-off uh, op-eds or public posts or whatever. I mean, but, like, what are they—are they still politically significant in Washington, or, uh, like, uh, are, are these members of the family, like, involved in the—I don't know, like, in the Washington beast, or are they just, you know, rich people who— have vacation homes on the east east coast and and hang out well, and do stuff. Both,
2: price <laughs> both are true. I think they are a dynasty that still means something to many Americans. Uh, The New York Times reporter, who I referred to earlier, for instance, uh, weighed into the crowd in Philadelphia on Monday. And one person said that Kennedy made a lot, it meant a lot to them. We're holding up a sign saying, I believe in Camelot, the Kennedy family mythology. So I think the Kennedy is coming the closest that has been said in many times, and I believe this, to a dynasty or a royal family. So uh, yes, the Kennedy name does still mean something. Are they entitled rich people who are out of touch? Yes, many of them are. When Jack Schlossberg, who's Carolyn Kennedy's son, 30-year-old son, attacked him viciously uh, last summer, i said, who the hell is this guy? And why does he have any kind of influence at all? Why are we listening to him? Well, it turns out that he's a rich kid. He went to a prep school. He went to the Ivy League school. He dabbled in acting. He's dabbled in politics. His mother, Caroline Kennedy, was ambassador for a while too in Japan. He got himself a gig being a staff assistant at a big Japanese uh, liquor company. The guy's, you know, kind of like pathetic. I so why the hell are we listening to this kid? Um, yet the media fell all over him when he on Instagram. Broke away from his vacation to Australia to post something vicious about his uncle Bobby Kennedy. The New York Times did a big piece on it, like he's a heavy player. Jack Schlossberg, I mean, give me a break.
1: Yeah, has that um, what's that redheaded Kennedy, the guy who the DNC got to do like some like Patrick. a debate rebuttal or whatever? Yeah, Patrick
2: Keevan uh, again for Senate and he lost badly against Edward Markey, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's the guy. Was he did, was he releasing statements, too? Or is he? Yeah, a lot, piled, a
2: lot of the candidates did pile on the ones who have, uh, you know, ambitions, political ambitions within the Democratic Party. They, you know, feel uh, allegiance to Biden, for God's sake, and the DNC. So they piled on him, their uncle, even though he Bobby Kennedy, as I said earlier, is a very brave guy to run it all.
0: Mm. I agree with that. He is brave and we got to hope for his uh, at least for his good health and uh, safety here going forward. Uh, David Talbot, thank you very much.
2: My pleasure.
0: Devil's Chess Club is an American Exception production. Special thanks to Dana Chavaria for producing this episode and to Casey Moore for the graphics. To get first access to episodes of Devil's Chess Club, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast on Patreon. Subscribers get access not only to Devil's Chess Club, but to the rest of the American Exception podcast, over 150 episodes dealing with the deep, dark politics of U.S. Empire. After that, you can find episodes on Rockfin Premium before they eventually get posted to YouTube on a new Devil's Chess Club playlist on the American Exception YouTube channel. Friends, as I said in the intro, there's so much craziness in the world right now, and I believe that the real underlying cause of all this is the slow but inexorable disintegration of U.S. hegemony. Powerful, powerful interests and actors are doing everything they can to avoid or forestall their inevitable defeat on the devil's chessboard.